Amen. Thank you, choir, for, uh, and James for leading us in that. We are uh, very excited about today and just the opportunity to gather for Memorial Day and uh, to remember those uh, that have fallen and paid the ultimate sacrifice. And I know we already recognize you that, that, uh, that have served before and those that might have had family, but we want to thank you again for your sacrifice and everything that you have done for our country. As it's obvious, Pastor Levi isn't here this morning. Uh, he is enjoying Mickey. Uh, and all of the other folks. I think he was really excited about um, meeting whatever those princesses' names are from um, Frozen. And so uh, he's in Disney World right now just enjoying his time with his family. And uh, I was kind of laughing a little earlier this morning because uh, we kind of joke in the office. He's kind of a a germaphobe, a neat freak kind of person. And so like hotness, crowds, and long lines really get on his nerves. And so uh, he's in Disney World uh, right now. So we, uh, we probably should just pray for our pastor. As, uh, as he's hanging out with all of those folks down in Disney World, because I know, uh, I just know how he is sometimes. But uh, I'm very grateful. I texted him last night. I'm very grateful that he gives me the opportunity to be able to do this and to fill in for him. and very honored that uh, he would uh, just, you know, think that, hey, I can, I can handle it while he's gone. And so I'm very excited to share with you. And uh, if you didn't know, uh, right now my wife and I are getting ready to welcome a baby girl. Uh, very excited about that. Yeah. And so... Um, and we're not going to tell her name. I know a lot of you have been asking, like, what's her name? What's her name? We're not telling the name. So until August 10th, that's the date, uh, hopefully she'll be right on time because she's going to be perfect. Um, she'll be right on time. Hopefully until August 10th, you won't know the name. But we're very excited. And uh, one of the things that I've learned, like, getting ready for this baby is, like, everything has to be perfect. And, uh, like, for all you guys out there that, you know, have a wife and y'all have had kids, you're like, absolutely. Um, and, and it's really weird. Like, there's parts of our house that I still hadn't even got to. But if that nursery is not ready, oh my word. And that's one of the things that I've noticed that like just has to be just right is the nursery. Like it's, it's got to be like, uh, you know, the, everything perfect. The bedding has to be perfect. You know, the colors have to be perfect. The, just the feel of the room when you walk in, it has to feel perfect. And, and that's all real extra scary to me because like if, if there's so much to do now before she's here, like part of me wonders like when she gets here, I'm thinking, oh my word. You know, this little girl is going to do me in. And so that's part of the thing that I've, that I've noticed about having a baby is that, uh, yeah, I hear, I hear people saying amen, uh, is that, uh, you know, everything has to uh, be right right before she's getting here. And, and one of the things that I know, like when, we've, when we're planning out what we're doing for the nursery is that uh, usually you kind of pick like a theme, right? Like you pick like a certain way it's going to look or, uh, you know, so we haven't really picked out a theme. We've kind of picked out colors. And so, you know, my wife has, you know, shown me uh, a, a billion colors and I said, you know, pick two. Um, and, and I hadn't really, really been able to do that, but we've kind of narrowed it down to a few. And so we're really not going with the theme kind of per se. We're just kind of going with a few different colors because some people, they go with animals. Some people go with like places. Some people go with you know, people or, you know, events or different things like that. And then some people actually decorate their nursery to look like this. That's actually my nursery when I was a baby. And uh, it's, uh, if, as you can see, there's, there's rainbows. And so um, that's what my mom and dad decided to paint uh, in my nursery when I was little was, was rainbows. And I think I had another picture of, of me in the nursery. Check out that hunk right there. He is a stud. Yes, sir. And you can see the, rain, you know, the rainbows behind me. But I'm actually kind of glad that, like, they, picked, that they picked the rainbow side of the whole flood story and not like, like the Noah's Ark side. Because as Pastor Levi has talked before, 
if you really think about it, like there's some things in the Bible that you really just shouldn't put on a wall in a baby's nursery. And like the whole flood scene is not one of those. So like I'm glad that they went the other route and put the rainbow up. So last week we were hanging out, uh, my wife and I were, we were hanging out with my parents. And I went to Charlotte, North Carolina to watch my brother play baseball. And uh, as we were hanging out, we had the opportunity to sit down and have, you know, a few dinners together. And during one of those dinners, uh, I was going to ask them uh, about my nursery. Because I knew, uh, you know, a week and a half ago, I knew what I was, was going to preach on. I knew we were going to finish up the, the story of Noah this morning in Genesis chapter 9. So I knew what we were going to talk about. And so we sat down and I said, Mom, Dad, I said, why did you choose rainbows? And, like, I really wanted to know since we were going to talk about it. And uh, my dad didn't say much when I asked him that question. And my dad really never says much. Uh, and then to come to think of it, like he probably didn't have much to say anyway when we were picking. So it, it probably was not his choice. But my mom said, well, because it reminds us of God's promise and because it's pretty. Thanks, mom. You know, because that's exactly what I want to think of when I want to, uh, you know, think of a boy's nursery is pretty, you know. But uh, she chose that anyway because she, she did. She loved the story of Noah. She loved, uh, you, you know, reading how at the end of it, you know, God did indeed make a promise to us. And it was kind of just neat to talk about for a few minutes, you know, talking about the Word and what it teaches about the promise of God as, as, as the sign of the rainbow and what all that means. And, and so as I started thinking about that and as I started studying, I started to go to Genesis 9 and started reading, you know, a week and a half ago, just really looking over Genesis 9 to determine, okay, you know, God, what do you, you, know, you want to show me? What do you want to teach me? Because anytime that I, that I, that I have an opportunity, to, whether it's with students or, or anyone to, to preach, I, like, I really want to know, like, God, what are you trying to teach me? And really for any of the time that you're getting together in God's Word, like you're reading God's Word, like you should have that as a goal first. Like, you know, not, not so you can give a good word to somebody else or prove somebody wrong, but when you go to God's Word, like, it should be, God, what do you want to teach me? And so as I was reading Genesis 9, I was like, God, what do you want to teach me? And as I started reading it, I started noticing that although most of us would agree and see that Genesis 9 does talk about a rainbow, and the rainbow is a reminder of the promise of God, that there's actually more to the promise than just the part about not flooding the earth again. And I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but I had never seen it before as well. And when we get to Genesis 9 and the rainbow and the, the promise between God and Noah, we actually call that the, the Noahic covenant. It's just Noah with the IC at the end. And most of us would say, if we polled you, that if this, the rainbow is a sign of what? You would say that God would not flood the earth again. But there's actually two more things. There's actually two more things that God gives in accordance with his covenant with Noah and with all mankind when he establishes and sets the rainbow as the covenant of it, or as a sign of his covenant. And so we're going to look at that. So Genesis chapter 9, we're going to talk about three things that God reminds us of through the sign of his rainbow. So if you would turn there and uh, stand with me in honor of God's word as we read it together. Pastor Levi usually reads from the New American Standard, but I'm going to be reading from the uh, ESV this morning. So follow along with me. Genesis chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every morning, uh, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man." From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. 
Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply. Team on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off from the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. These were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of a father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it both on their shoulders, and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backwards, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke with his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the arms or the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and then he died. Let's pray. Father, may the reading and the teaching of your word be blessed. And God, may what we do and what we say in here be a, a reflection of how we live outside of these walls when we gather together. And pray that, God, through the study of Genesis 9 this morning, that we would be reminded that, that God, you have set out to do three things for us. And so, God, thank you so much for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So the rainbow is a reminder that God provides, that he's established order for our protection, and that ultimately he has made a promise. Now, the first thing that we're going to talk about is that God provides. If you th I don't know if you've noticed it yet in reading Genesis as we've gone through the story of Noah, but total, Noah was on the ark for 377 days. That's 377 days of stink. I mean, like, I, we live near some chicken houses. I can imagine living with the chicken house. It's 300. 77 days of, of foul smells, muggy conditions, 377 days of the same thing over and over and over, 377 days of wondering what the new earth is going to look like after the waters subside, 377 days of trusting God on the ark that everything will be okay, 377 days until Noah felt dirt under his feet, breathed in fresh air, and didn't have to tend to thousands of the animals on the ark, 377 days. And so you can imagine 377 days of this with him and his family on the ark doing the same thing over and over again. You can imagine how tired he is after he got off the ark. And so you can think of like just the weight of everything he feels on top of that. And then beyond that, now he has to figure out how to start over. 
Now he's got to figure out everything for his family. He's got to figure out where they're going to live, what they're going to eat, what they're, you know, where, what they're going to do. And it's amazing like that Noah was like boldly obedient to God's command to build the ark, to get in it, and to stay on it for 377 days despite all the variables. I mean, I mean just think for a second in your life, all the variables. Like for those who, are, who, who have parents that are sending their kids off to college, or for those that like maybe your, your job security isn't there at the moment. Or, 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 you know, for the sickness that you're not really sure about. Like all those different variables. And Noah was boldly obedient despite all those variables that had to be evident before the flood. Like he, he had to have known like it was coming. So then we see what's really interesting is that like the animals on the ark actually owed their existence to Noah. I mean, yes, it was, God's, it was by God's command that Noah built the ark, and he was told to put them in there. But it was because of Noah that they were actually on the ark. And so you think about Noah's situation, like, here we are, all the animals were done, I'm tired, what do I do, where do I start? And you can imagine the weight of, of, of the feeling of not knowing anything, right? Like, it's you and your family and nobody else. And so we, we get to Genesis 9, 2, and 3, and we have a really cool thing that, that God does. And the weight of all of that turmoil and all of that strife and all of the tiredness in 2-3, or Genesis 9-2-3, Noah is told by God, he says, The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be for food. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you now everything. So Noah was met by God with one thing, provision. After everything was over, everything said and done, and Noah is tired and waiting on that one thing, God gives him what he needs, food and clothing. You know, Noah, Noah never asked like for great land. Noah never asked for success. Noah, Noah never asked for any kind of material wealth whatsoever. God set out to provide for Noah at the end of the flood everything he would need. And what's really interesting is that what God does for Noah parallels what Jesus said to us as a reminder that God has done the same thing for us. In Matthew chapter 6, it's a, the section that I wanted to read to you is, is a little long, so bear with me, but it says, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather nor, um, into their barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And of which, you, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, I know that was Jesus saying that to his followers, but you could almost take that and put it into Genesis as God saying it to Noah. Look, you see the fresh grass springing up, the new life that I'm giving it? You see the animals, the life that I've sustained in them, everything, all of them, they don't worry about it at all. 
And then God sets out to provide Noah all that he needs. God has set out and made himself available to provide our needs. Now, obviously, we're going to have abundance in life. There are some people that have more than others. It never says in God's word that he has set out and promised that he will abound to us in the sense of material possessions. But he has set out when he did with Noah as establishing Noah over all creation. And also, it says the covenant was for all mankind that he would provide for us. So it's a great thing to remember that like when, when the next step doesn't seem so sure, or maybe when the new job, or maybe, maybe the loss of the job, or maybe that the, the next thing doesn't, you know, doesn't seem so clear, and we might be wondering, like, what is God going to provide for me? Well, it might not be what you want, but it definitely will be what you need. So it's a great reminder as we look to the rainbow that God promised Noah and all mankind, as a, as Noah is the representation of all mankind, that he will supply our needs. But the rainbow isn't only a reminder that God provides, it's also a reminder that God protects. Now this next part isn't necessarily something that we would read in like a Sunday school lesson on the story of Noah. Uh, we wouldn't really focus on this. But as God uh, provided Noah what he needs, and he goes a little bit further to explain the covenant between man and between God, he actually establishes institutional order, or government, so to speak. In Genesis 9, 4 through 6, it says, But you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, he's talking to Noah, for your lifeblood I will require, require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. You know, immediately following the flood, God set out to uh, set anything wrong or any speculation wrong that someone might have had. Because following the flood or during the flood, as you read this, some might speculate that God might have thought that human life was cheap. I'll just start over. But what's interesting is that God immediately lets Noah and us know what he thinks of human life. And he says that any man that takes the life of another man, there will be a reckoning. And so not only does God provide, but God establishes order for our protection. He, he immediately tells Noah, like, this, this is how you and all of your family and those that follow you shall live. Because the reason that he did so was because he was protecting his image. He was protecting the image of God. If you go to Genesis chapter 1, you will see God said, you know, what shall, how shall, what shall we do? How shall we form man? Let, let us fashion man in our image and in our likeness. And so when you get to Genesis, whoever sheds the blood of the man, we have a reminder, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. The established order law of God is to protect the image of God in man. And so when we get to the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, what, Moses gave, uh, what God gave Moses to give to the people, all of those laws, the Ten Commandments, especially all of that was ultimately to protect the image of God within man. Because man was made in God's image. Man is the representation of God on earth. And so everything that God has done to give us established order is ultimately for our protection. And one of the things that I've learned with working with teenagers is trying to help them understand how God's word, especially uh, what, what Jesus has, has commanded us how to live and has given us a blueprint, like how that relates to us. Because 
I don't know if you know this, but in our current culture right now, like when people hear about the Bible or they think about the Bible, they, they really equate it with a bunch of rules, a, a big long list of things to do and not to do, and think that that's all it's there for. And one time I had the opportunity to, to uh, talk with my dad. When we were in Alabama, we worked at a, another church and, and were able to serve alongside some, some awesome folks there as well. And, um, and uh, my dad was one of those folks that served in our ministry and helped with our teenagers. And he had this conversation with a couple of students one time about um, sexual intimacy and how it's reserved for a man and a woman in marriage. And one of the girls said, well, I don't see such a big, I don't see so, why it's such a big deal about premarital sex. And immediately, my dad went, to, went into a discussion about why it is a big deal. Or, or why any established order of God is, is a big deal because it's not just there for a rule, it's actually there for your protection because if you think about it, when it comes to, se- when it comes to sexual purity, that purity actually pays the pathway to intimacy in marriage. So, so students or, or, or teenagers or, 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 or anyone, there, there's a reason that we're, we're given commands like not, do not commit adultery. It's because ultimately purity paves the pathway for intimacy in marriage. And also like, there's a reason that you know, God said do not steal, do not covet, do not lie, do not murder. Like all of those are for a purpose and that purpose is protection. It's not so that we can stand before God and he has the ability to point his finger at us and say, you did wrong, and so that he has, to, he has the ability to hold his hand over us and guard us. And, and that's how God related to his people. He gave them the law, said follow the law, and ultimately the law was for their protection. And the law actually acted almost as a babysitter, so to speak. In Galatians, Paul actually talks about this. In Galatians chapter 4, it says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave though he is the owner of everything. Here's the important verse. But he is under guardians and managers. He's talking about those that are underneath the law. He is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as the sons. The law was how God related to his people in order to protect his people, and it was a guardian of its people, so to speak. The same way when you go out on a date, parents, and you leave your child with a babysitter, that babysitter is the guardian. And although they're not the parent, they are establishing themselves as the parent until the real parent shows up. Now, what's neat about this is that when God establishes order through Noah, Noah, and then later through his law through Moses, what he's doing is he's establishing protection. He's giving us a guardian. He's giving us a manager. And he's doing that only until the Father, or Jesus, shows up in flesh. And so the established order of God is for our protection, and then ultimately the established order of the God that he has given us, the law, is not for a list of rules, but is to keep us until the moment that Jesus is here and dies for our sins. In Hebrews it says, long ago at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So in the Old Testament, this is how God speaks. This is how God relates to his people. He gives the law for protection so that we can stay away from sin and not mar the image of God. And then the great thing, but, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. 
You see, submission to the established order of God, the law, offers protection from sin. But submission to God's Son offers protection from the effects of sin. And so the the rainbow is a reminder that God has established order and protection. And then when we get to Jesus, it, it... it not only reminds us that like, there's an established order for our protection, but the, ra- remain, the rainbow is a reminder that ultimately God has made a promise. You know, I was doing a little studying as I was uh, reading through Genesis 9, and I found a book by Dr. Clifton Morris. And he was talking about the situation of Noah coming off the ark, and finding new land, finding a new job. And Dr. Clifton Morris writes a a little bit of history about his own life, and he says, The park across the street from my childhood home was in a valley surrounded by hills on all three sides. On the far side of that park was a 20-foot drop where someone eventually got the not-so-great idea of planting kudzu vine to hold the soil together. The vine grew quickly, becoming a nuisance. During the winter months, the city would burn away every trace only to see it revive as spring weather returned. No matter what anybody did, that crazy green patch of kudzu would return, seemingly stronger than the year before. The outer vine could not be removed, but the life-bearing roots were because the life-bearing roots were still holding on beneath the surface. The great flood had purged the earth of the rampant immorality that had covered the human race, and yet the question remained: how and when will sin resurface in the hearts and lives of mankind? Interestingly enough, the same way that the kudzu springs back up from the vine underneath, sin resurfaced in the hearts of mankind through a vine. In Genesis 9, 20 through 23, it says that Noah became a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine, he became drunk, and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, one of Noah's sons, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backwards, and they did not see their father's nakedness. Now, realistically, like, it didn't take until after the flood for sin to resurface, because guess what? There were still humans on the boat. So, like, sin was going on to begin with, so God had, like, God had everything figured out, right? But here we come to, to Noah, and we're like, all right, Noah, new start. Here we go, man. We're off the boat. The animals are gone. There's no more smell. You got a new place. It's awesome. It looks great. I love what you did with the mud brick. And then now, like, what does Noah do? Well, I'm, I'm going to start making wine. And then he enjoys his drink a little too much. It says that he passes out, drunk and naked, in his house. And then Ham passes by. Now, it's, it's shameful enough that Noah got drunk, shameful enough that he passed out, shameful enough that he was naked when he did it. I don't, we don't know the whole story of how that all happened. Um, but regardless, like, it was all shameful. And then on top of that, his son Ham passes by and he sees his dad. And this was a shameful act as well, to see his dad in his nakedness and in his drunken stupor as well. And so what Ham does is he doesn't, he doesn't fix the situation or help. He actually adds to the situation. And when it says that he saw his father, it actually means that he saw him in a demeaning way. Like it was shameful. And then when he went about it to his brothers, it wasn't in a way that was like, hey, we need to make sure dad. It was, it was almost as if he could have gone to his brothers and said, you check this guy out. This was the guy that God chose to let the earth continue with? 
And so his two brothers, they did the right thing, and they went and covered up his, uh, his shamefulness. But we see very quickly that, that sin is still rampant. And so here's the problem. God flooded the earth because every inclination, every thought of mankind was sinful all the time. And so God said, I'm going to wipe that out. I'm going to wipe that out. And then Noah and his family started all over again. But God has made a promise. The, ra- the rainbow is a reminder of that promise. God's not going to do that again. When we see it storm, thunder, lightning outside, and the clouds come up, and we see the rainbow in the sky, something that's happened for, for years and years and years, the Bible doesn't say that God created the rainbow. It just says that God chose the rainbow as a sign of his covenant, and the sign of the covenant was the rainbow. And when we see that, we know God will never flood the earth again to wipe out man. And so now God has a problem. And it's a sin problem. So what does he do? Well, it's a great thing that he's already promised to not wipe it out by a flood. So what must he do? Well, he must send the promised son of God. And that's a great thing to think about that, that Jesus is ultimately the fulfillment of how God deals with sin. See, never again do we have to taste the wrath of God, the, the water of God's wrath. Jesus is actually the floodgate that sustains God's wrath from us. In Hebrews 2, 9, it says, But we see him, though for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of his death, so that by grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus drank deep the water of God's wrath so that you and I would not have to stand before God with all of our stuff and say, is this enough? He, said, he looks at his, Jesus, his son Jesus and says, he is enough. And the, 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 the rainbow just predicates the promise, son of God. I'm not going to flood the earth again to deal with this. There's going to be another way that it's going to be dealt with. And it's going to be dealt with once and for all through the sun hanging on the cross. So just as we look to the rainbow as a sign that God will never flood the earth again, we look to the cross knowing that we will never, for those who have faith in Jesus, taste the, the wrath of him against sin ever again. Just as the rainbow is the sign, the cross is the ultimate sign of God's grace and God's mercy to humankind. You see, we, the promised son of God provides for us the, the payment for sin that we never owned. And it also provides for us the protection from God's wrath that we could never build. And it just, just as God built, uh, Noah, Noah built the ark, and God was like, get in the ark, as Levi, Pastor Levi has talked about, get in the ark, get away from the wrath, is that what was coming, the flood was coming? Well, the same way we're encouraged to get in Christ, get in Christ to escape the wrath of God. And the Bible teaches that we were created to be with God. I mean, we, we, go, we go back to Genesis before the flood. Like, you and I were created in his image to have fellowship with him. But, like, there was a problem with all that. Our sin separated us from God. You know, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, 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 and nothing we can do will ever reach up to God. You know, if there was a ladder up here and I asked you, to, uh, you know, put God at the top of the ladder is all moral perfection. And then I asked you to list someone that you would say would be on the bottom of the ladder. I've mentioned this before, but it's a great visual. Where would you put yourself? More than likely, you would put yourself in the middle with everybody else that you would say is a pretty good person too. But there's still a gap between you and God. Jesus fulfills that gap. 
You can't heap up enough stuff, climb up on top of it, and get to God. And just a little bit right after Genesis chapter 9, we actually have a story of people that tried to build a tower to get to God. Your tower of going to church, being a good person, hey, even getting baptized, that tower will never be tall enough to reach Jesus. But the cross is, is big enough to cover the gap. And so what Jesus did is he died on the cross. And he paid the price for, or for us, and then not only paid the price on the cross for our behalf, but then was, rose, was raised from the dead three days later to prove that he could do it. And then he says, everyone, it's an awesome thing. He doesn't just say it's just a few people. He says, everyone, if you, can, if you believe in him, for those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart, he too will be saved. And so if we do that, then Jesus gives us life, life eternal. And life with Jesus, guess what? Like, I know heaven's going to be great. But life with Jesus actually starts now. See, a lot, a lot of times maybe in our, in our church culture, we get this idea that I walked down front, I said a prayer, I did all the things that you're supposed to do, I got baptized. And then those same people, when you ask them, you know, what do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? They say, well, I think it's a pretty, just being a pretty good person. Wrong. No matter how good you can be, you will never be good enough. And so God wants to give you eternal life in his son that, yes, you will spend for him for all of eternity, but it starts now. Living for him, worshiping, reaching, growing, serving, becoming a disciple of his. And that's what ultimately what we want to do at Concord is say, get in Christ and then grow in Christ, reach others, serve others, and worship him for what he deserves. The, ra ra the, the rain rainbow is a reminder, you know, that God provides. He will give you what you need. That, that God protects. His established order is given for our protection. But then ultimately it points that, that the promised Son of God is what protects us. And just like the, rain, the rainbow reminds us that he will never flood the earth again, that ultimately it gives us the reminder that God has promised to divert his wrath towards his Son. And so what we do when we read Genesis 9, we run to the cross. Like we read Genesis 9 and we see God's made a promise, and ultimately that promise finds fulfillment that he will never flood the earth, but that Jesus paid the price for you and me. And so if you just trust in him, if you just get in him the same way that Noah got in the ark, you too will be saved. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning. And God, as we have an opportunity for response, I pray that, God, we would remember, God, the sign of your covenant, the rainbow, that you, God, you've promised to divert your wrath. And we thank you for that, Father. We give you this, this time of response that we have together, and we pray that, that, um, that you would be honored and glorified in your name.